Hi, I'm Brittany. And I'm Marie. And we are These Two Moms. Welcome back to These Two Moms. Uh, Last time we talked about romantic relationships and we're going to continue that conversation today with the hellishness of others. (laughs) Well, first let's start with the fact that, and this is all borrowed from, um, well, the platform we're going to dive off of is borrowed from the School of Life. Yeah. but, and I'm sure we'll add lots of Marie-isms and Brittany-isms along the way. <laughs> um, but a section of the book is called We Are a Hellish Proposition. And basically, basically that in a nutshell. That does pretty much sum it up. I think we're done here. It was great talking to you great guys. episode. I'll see you um, next time. Next time. Um, but we have all, in some ways, been either inadequately parented or have unfortunate psychology in our brain, whatever is going on up there. We have bad habits we've developed. We're irritable. We're ill-tempered. Shocker, guys. We are. This is a surprise to all of you. You'll be like, these podcasts, and I thought everyone was delightful. Everyone's great. No, we all have ugly parts of ourselves. Let's say that. And those ugly parts are kind of hard to find from far away. Yeah. Right? Um, and they're even hard for us to find ourselves because we are so good at rationalizing and justifying everything that we do. Everything that we do seems like perfectly rational choices. Right. Nobody makes mis- like thoughts, processes by going, this is going to be stupid. Right. Let's do it. Right. Let's do it. It's like everyone thinks they know what they're thinking. And there have been millions of times in my life where I'm like, for sure, I know what I'm doing. And then like a month later, a week later, I'd be like, what did I do that for? And already, even in my own, like one week evolved brain, right. not figure out what my myself the week before was thinking, right? Like, So this, my husband hid our iPad from my kids two days ago. Such a bad idea. And the day after, he couldn't remember where he hid it. <laughs> and I know you've all been there where you're like, man, I remember putting this thing in what I thought was a really safe, secure, right. knowable place, but I can't remember where that place is, right? <laughs> so even we are not rational to our own selves all of the time. So we're for sure not going to be rational to another person, right? Right. So all that in mind, when you are in a long-term romantic relationship or a marriage, the person that you are with is not necessarily too critical or too sensitive or too blank Right. They're just the ones with the microscope. <laughs> They're the ones who are close and enough to you. Also, you handed them that said microscope. Right. It's true. not like a surprise. Like what? All of a sudden, you know, my flaws. You handed them the microscope and said, you go ahead and be this scientist. That is what a marriage contract or a long term relationship is. Right. It is literally handing over something and saying, go ahead and dissect and find all my flaws. This close to me, right? (laughs) It doesn't even have to be that open of an invitation of like, please tell me how terrible I am. But just the fact that you are hitching your wagon to theirs, now they can see how badly your wagon is falling apart, right? (laughs) And vice versa. And vice versa. But especially in all the ways that their wagon's not falling apart. Because we all do this, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm really confident in how... I don't know, strong my wheels are. Your wheels look terrible, right? But I'm not really noticing that my canvas on my wagon, I don't know, guys, this analogy is kind of falling off the rails, but it's falling apart. Anyways. Um, as well as our wagons. <laughs> so, but when you get called out, 
in a marriage or a long-term relationship, it feels like a personal attack, right? right? Because they are attacking parts of you. Well, it feels like an attack. It might not necessarily be one. Even if it's not intended that way, right. of course that's the way it feels. Because it's a part of you. Right. And it's probably a part of you that you don't like. And it's probably a part of you that you um, created in order to keep yourself safe from something in your childhood. True. So it's like they're saying, hey, the fact that you are shelled up in this manner is horrific. And you're like, but this shell has kept me safe. So why are you all of a sudden you're the first person in my life telling me the shell is no longer working? I don't know how to take it down. What are you even proposing happens next? Right. So it makes it very tricky to be able to accept that criticism gracefully. This is a conversation we've had recently is like, we are always willing to let people critique what it is about ourselves that we have already accepted and we're okay with. Like if I've accepted that I'm lazy and someone else is telling me, hey, you're being lazy. I'm like, yeah, yep. totally. I know. Yep. I'm terribly lazy. Right. Like, and it's like, yuck. Yeah. And on Pitch Perfect, right? She calls herself Fat Amy. So all the skinny twigs can't call her that. Right. It's like she's accepted that about herself. And so she's, oh, she's really everybody saying it. What hurts the most is when people find something we have not accepted about ourselves. Totally true. And are not always ready to accept about ourselves. And it's like that is the trick of how to gracefully accept that criticism and willingly learn how to work on it in a way that works for both partners. Right. And it's even like they might or you might have something about yourself, a trait that you have or whatever it is that you know about but you haven't accepted, right? right? So there's a little spectrum. There's stuff that you don't know about and so can't accept. There's stuff that you know about but haven't accepted. And then there's stuff that you know about and accept and are fine with. And the stuff you know about but haven't accepted is often what you're going to be justifying the most, Right. right? And it's like, oh, you guys are so lucky that you have this. My husband never does that, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like because you just are like, fantasizing what another person's life might look like because you know there's some flaw in your own life but you don't know how to accept it and just embrace it and so you romanticize and fantasize that other people's lives are these pretty shiny things right when in reality it's like oh you like clearly have no idea what's going on in my world if you only knew if you think this is what's pretty and shiny you don't know what's happening here yeah and so this same thing where we can realize our own hellishness when someone else tells us, like, hey, I'm close enough to you now to see all of the ugly bits, <clears throat> that happens in reverse. Right. Right? We now are close enough to them to see maybe all of the things that we didn't know were there from afar. And the funny thing is, is with relationships and people, you guys know this if you've been in a 10-day relationship or a 21-year relationship or a 55-year relationship is it doesn't matter how long you've been together, you're going to find new little bits all the time. Right, just because you're living your life and new stuff comes up. Yeah. Right? So how are we able to see the hellishness of others and accept it and, and, um, again, like gracefully like bring it to their attention or accept it? Like how do we deal with the hellishness of others? I mean, if I had that answer, I feel like... <laughs> a million dollars would be a real lot of money. Um, 
one thing is thinking that we'll be happier with someone else. Like once you have seen all the ugly bits of your partner, you're like, oh, this was the wrong person. I just need to go find the right person who won't have ugly bits. It's like, that's a lie. I make this joke all the time and we all know everyone knows it's a joke, but like... I always say, if Zac Efron showed up on my doorstep tomorrow and knocked on the door and was like, Marie, I want to marry you, I would leave my family and go marry him, right? And obviously, it's like a ridiculous joke because I don't know what the hellishness of Zac Efron is. You don't. It not be worth his pretty, pretty face. The devil you know is bad. The devil in you don't. Right? And so it's like, um, but that's a that's an easy, like, scenario to imagine like oh if it were Zac Efron for sure I'd be happy then right and it's like okay what like we don't know what goes on and so thinking that oh the next person will solve the problems that I didn't get in the first relationship like this is a hard thing for most people to grasp but it's not the other person that's the problem <laughs> right because or, or the other person will always be the problem yeah it's because never there the is solution. no perfect person right. right and i think one step to accepting the hellishness of other people is accepting our own hellishness right, right. and just understanding that we all suck together just different ways right um and i think that that was advice that i got like end of high school, early college. I don't really remember. I don't remember who it was or where it was. I just remember the advice, which maybe is the important part. Probably. For sure. That everyone, whoever you're dating, you will think that they are funny. You will think that they are smart. You will think that they are attractive, right? When you are thinking of like looking for a potential life partner, um, Everyone focuses on the the qualities that they want. Like, what am I looking for in a partner? You're going to find those things because you're not going to date someone that you think is stupid. You're not going to date someone that you don't think is cute. Right. The list of characteristics that you make of your dream person is going to be true no matter who you choose. Right. Because you're not going to choose someone that doesn't have those things. So the advice that I got was you choose the flaw. Right. Right. That you can live with. Um, because everyone is going to have a flaw. You're not going to find this perfect person that is an angel and has no flaws. You're going to find someone. They will be flawed. Spoiler alert for some right. of you. Like, whether you're married or not, you're like, wait, what? Wait. Just kidding. There's no chance. We all know this. We all know this. Um, so you choose the flaw that you can put up with, essentially, right? If you can handle a messy partner... Right. Then messiness is not going to really be a flaw to you. Right. Or it might be something not ideal, maybe, if we can put other words on it, but it's not going to be a deal breaker. Right. You're not going to marry someone who is messy if you can't handle messiness. Well, that's like one of those things you should ask before. Like, if you know you can't handle messiness, then instead of being like, are you smart and are you cute? These are the questions you should be asking. Exactly. Can you put your socks in the hamper? Because if not, I might drive myself crazy. It's not on you. Well, That's a problem I have. You. That's exactly. a problem because I can't handle your socks not being in exactly, the hamper. Exactly, exactly. But let's figure this out. You know, those are like questions we don't ask in advance. Right, because they're not romantic. And we Which don't we'll talk about, about in a minute. Some of those things. Because we don't think that it matters. Right. Right? Romanticism tells us that the only thing that matters in a long-term relationship is how you feel about them. Right. It puts down the logistics. It says... Talking about money is anti-feeling and unromantic. Talking about socks in the hamper. Talking about who's going to do the dishes and who will clean the house. And it puts love on this pedestal of like, if you really love them, then all of those things don't matter. (laughs) 
Which is like adorable, fallacious in the most extreme sense of the word. Because no matter how much you love someone, if socks next to your bed instead of in the hamper bugs you, and that person, you're not you're not gonna change them, first of all, right? Don't. People don't don't try to change them. If you can't accept that on day one, on day 14,582, <laughs> you will be resentful. Right. Love is not like magical thing. It is made in little moments. Totally. And it is chosen in little moments. Um, there are a couple great new songs out um, that are so fun. And they're called, um, one of them's called um, the, my, instead of a soul mate, it's like my soul mate is made. Oh. So you make them your soulmate by everyday little mm-hmm. moments, right? Yeah. Like you choose them every day. Yeah, and, and like turn them into. It's not like all of a sudden you well, see someone and you're like, "This will be forever." It's like, okay, how do we make um, our everyday life continue to work? Right. Instead of work. like turn them into your soulmate, you just turn your picture of what your soulmate is into them right. as they are. And it doesn't mean you just, like, go and, like, find someone who's a horrific human and, like, I can make this work. <laughs> Don't do that either. There's some middle ground here, people. But yeah, there are some nuance to yeah, this conversation, and, obviously. Instead of just assuming that um, in the romantic, you know, fantasy life, you're going to meet Prince Charming and you guys are going to ride off on a horse and be happy forever without any work the mm-hmm. whole point is that a happy ever after is made in everyday moments and in everyday choices and in accepting the hellishness of others and accepting the hellishness of yourself and being willing to continually work on it yeah very wise marie goodbye mic drop just kidding <laughs> i want to share this one quote from the book that says that their failings do not make them unworthy of love, but all the more in need of it. And I think Ooh. realizing that for someone else might be a challenge, but realizing that for ourselves is easier. So there is a quote I heard when I was in high school, and it's like, when you hear the quote, you'll be like, no, that doesn't make sense. When I explain it, it'll make sense. <laughs> But it says, when you need love the most is often when you deserve it the least. And it's like, I don't like the word deserve. Right. Because everyone deserves love. Right. That's the part of the quote I don't love. But what it means is, when you need love the most is often when you are acting the most hellish. Right. And you're acting the most hellish because you need a little bit of love. It's like this catch-22. Like, we see it with our kids, too, all the time. We've had this conversation. The same thing is true about our partners. Like, if they are struggling with little things they we might not even know about right they're going to feel more hellish to deal with same with us and so it's like that grace is just so important it's like sometimes it's like okay do you need a hug (laughs) like (laughs) what do we need like let's pause all of this for a moment and stop talking about all of this other stuff like what actually is happening and what actually is going on and so much of this is uncovering wounds right right like Oh, I see that this annoying thing that you have, interesting, let's get curious, not critical, again, right? And say, and you don't even need to necessarily know why they have it, right? You don't need to find their wound for them because you don't know their childhood, you don't know their brain. Um, But just the idea or the grace that you can give to that situation of, I see this annoying thing that you have, 
instead of just resenting it and being annoyed by it and thinking that it's just an inherent character flaw, what if I look at it through the lens of you have this to protect you from something else? Right. You have this for a legitimate reason. Now I can give that flaw the like charitable interpretation that it deserves. Right. Because it is there for a good reason. I think Whether that, n- not like a moral good, but like it's there for an important reason. Right. right. And I think that like this is a conversation that like goes back to even making assumptions. Like it's so, um, we've talked about in some of the podcasts that literally as a human being, it is impossible not to make assumptions. Our brains are constantly, our brain's job is to interpret information and file it. Right. Organize the world and put it into boxes. So that it, like, we Makes can sense. continue, yeah, so we can continue to function, right? The problem is, is that our boxes aren't always correct. They're just correct to us. Right. And so if we're taking someone else's actions and putting it into our box, that doesn't necessarily work. So... It takes a little bit of, um, like, you can't ever say, like, let's never make an assumption again, because you will. And you have to. Your brain literally won't function unless you do. And so instead, being willing to dissect when things start to pop up and be like, okay, where are some assumptions that maybe I made? Mm -hmm. So I think the sock analogy is still great. So if your partner just takes their socks off and just leaves it on the floor... Your assumption would be they're lazy. They don't care that I don't want them there. They can't take two seconds to think about me and put them in the hamper. Right, they're inconsiderate. They don't love me. And now we're going to get divorced. Right. It gets get deep real quick. It, get, yeah, it really can because it's like it then becomes an issue of they're not listening to me. Right. Right. All of these things start to pile because now my brain has decided that this is what the socks on the floor mean. And you've made assumptions upon assumptions upon assumptions, which is like errors of rounding upon errors of rounding in math, right? You like from a tenth to now we're at a millionth and it's like, whoa, okay, hold on. We did it wrong. So then giving them the, the grace and the charitable assumption that, it, you know, maybe you ask them like, hey, why don't you? But also maybe you just stop caring and you realize that you're the one with who hates the socks on the floor. Like Byron Katie talks about this. She's like, why do they leave the socks on the floor? Because they do. Like, I can't fight reality. Mm-hmm. The, the why behind that maybe will help you, maybe won't. So if you hate the socks on the floor, whose job is it to clean up the socks? Right. The, the reason the why helps you is because it might help you understand. Might give you it a little might help you accept. Mm-hmm. But you can accept without the why. Right. You can just say, the socks are always on the floor. So what now? Right? So I can either choose to walk past them and still choose to be happy, or I can choose to pick them up and choose to be happy that I'm picking them up. Or you move the hamper to where the socks end up on the floor. Right next to the bed. It's fine. Like, there's always an option C, guys. Right. Always an option C. This is the Brene Brown, like, the story I'm telling myself is, right? Right. Which is such a powerful communication tool with everyone in your life um, that you have conflict with when you notice that you have made assumptions. Yeah. Right? So it's like, oh, their socks are on the floor again. Pause, right, when you're bugged and say, okay, what am I assuming about them in this situation? Hmm, I'm assuming some things that might not be true. Again, Byron Katie, what else could be true? <laughs> what other options are there? And open up that. And so it does become, 
there are some little things like socks on the floor, and then there are big things like money and life choices mm-hmm. and having babies or not having babies or buying a house, not buying a house. I've had a year of that house buy. Yeah, exactly. And it's real, real stuff. And so um, it just becomes a, a little bit of a dance. Yeah, it's really easy to talk about socks on the floor. Right. Because that seems very benign. Right. right? But the same principle applies to all of the big stuff. Yeah. And the assumptions that you make about their choices and what their rationale is. When reality is, you have no clue. Right. You don't know why they left their socks on the floor or why they want to take the job that they do or why they want to move to the state they want to move to. Right. It's until you talk to them. 15 years, 10 minutes... 75 years, like just the fact that you're living your life next to them does not automatically actually make you one. Like you can't actually read their mind just because you think you know them well enough. Like right. you might make an assumption and you might be right. And you might even be right 80% of the time because you do know them so well because you're so close to them. But then there's still a huge margin of error right. in that 80%. You right. know, that, that's a big difference. So being able to really give people the chance to be themselves and be messy like there's really no other option right one of my favorite parts of the school of life book is where they compare and contrast the like romantic idea of love and marriage to the a more classical or post-romantic idea of love and marriage um it really was like really eye-opening to me because not only are all of the Disney movies right. written with a romantic prescription, basically, <laughs> all the rom-coms are, obviously, but even, like, the side subplots of romance in an action movie right. follow this script. So, we're doomed from the beginning, right? <laughs> with what our preconceived notions of what a relationship should be. So, if you read the book for just this section, I, I, that's enough. Right. <laughs> like, it's so important. Um, the part for me that was really like mind blowing was talking about communication and how a romanticism partner or what we would perceive our partner to be like in romanticism, um, is that we just understand them intuitively and they understand us intuitively, (laughs) which removes the need for communication makes you think that any time you don't understand each other, it's because you're not right for each other. Oh, this right? isn't the one. I right. did not find the one. Yeah. This must not work out. This must not be right because they don't understand me. They can't read my mind. It's like, mm, are you? Are you? <laughs> did you? They can't read your mind. It's like, yeah, of course they can't. That's the idea that we've been sold of what a good romantic partner entails. And sometimes it takes, like, a minute of, like, diving into the whys again, right? Right. To find our own flawed thinking, to realize, oh, wait, I have been assuming they can read my mind. I didn't even realize that that was the stem of this problem, Mm -hmm. is that um, I just was like, yeah, of course they can. Yeah, like. They should just know. They should know. (laughs) Or even if you feel like you're being a good communicator and have told them over and over and over. Right, we talked about this last time. Like, you might not be communicating what you think you're communicating. Right. And they may not be receiving, even if you're doing it right, their receivers may be not quite catching on yet based on their own flaws and right. their own rose-colored glasses. And so it takes a bit of time to make sure you work through those issues and those problems and really being clear on like, 
oh, I have been totally assuming all the wrong things. <laughs> and like, I didn't even realize that my core problem was that I was having this romantic view of what right. this relationship should right. be. And there's a reason that we call it developing good communication, yeah. right? It's something that you have to like work at and cultivate and build. You don't just be good communicators. Even if you're both individually consider yourselves good communicators, you still have to communicate together. <laughs> like sometimes it's peanut butter and chocolate and sometimes it's oil and water. <laughs> Depending on like <laughs> peanut butter and chocolate instead of peanut butter and jelly. I like yours so much better. Yes, let's take some Reese's peanut butter cups all day. That's amazing. Um, yeah, much better. Yeah, sometimes you're just going to naturally, and that's, I think, the, like, uh, really flaw in this logic, is sometimes it feels like it is peanut butter and chocolate, Yeah. right? Sometimes it feels so easy and natural, and you're like, wow, we're really vibing, we really jive, we're on the same brave, brave length, <laughs> <laughs> we're on the same wavelength. Um, so then those oil and water times feel really like disconnecting yeah. and you're like, Ooh, Ooh, we're not working here. Ooh, what just- there must be a problem with us. It's like, no, this is just a, a time. Congratulations. You found a wound yeah. <laughs> or like right? a difference. It doesn't even have to be a wound. It yeah. can just be that you're different people because newsflash you're different people. <laughs> I think one of the biggest misconceptions in, uh, getting married and trying to find a partner is that you will never be lonely and that your partner will fill every one of your needs. Totally. And, uh, no. Yeah. It's the end to all loneliness because we are going to spend all of our time together and have no secrets and they will be our best friend and soulmate and confidant and laundry doer and household manager and spiritual guide and accountant and co-parent. It's like, oh my gosh. I'm tired just here. <laughs> That's a lot of things for one person to be for you. And we really need to break this down into a few things. First of all, loneliness is a personal problem. It is, you can be lonely in a group of people. Totally. You can be lonely no matter where you are. Loneliness is a signal for you to look inward because you're not connecting with yourself. Did you guys know this? Interesting. You have lost connection with yourself. You're not listening to your head. You're not listening to your heart. When you are not listening to yourself and you're like honoring to, your needs, and honoring yeah. yourself, you're going to feel lonely. Fascinating. The loneliness. I something today. Now, when you go to some of the other things, there's a book out there. I haven't read it. I don't even know the name of it. But it talks about how in marriage, you even hire out jobs. Right? So, like... Even if you have a great marriage, and especially in order to have a great marriage, you realize what neither of you are going to do and you hire it out. Mm -hmm. So whether it's, hey, neither of us are handyman, we hire that out. That's easy for society to, to accept. Totally. I've never built a house. I'm going to hire that out. Right? People are like, of no, course you are. Right? I'm bad at decorating my house. I'm going to hire that out. Hire a cleaner. Those are the things that are easy for people to understand. Even a nanny half the time, people are like, cool. Yeah. Great. We can accept that socially. There's a precedent for it. Right. (laughs) But people don't understand um, when I say hire out, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to pay this person, but to be your best friend. There are things my husband will never want to talk about and never understand. Right. We touched on this a little bit last time. Yeah. Like the amount of TV that you want to watch is not the same for Josh. Yeah. But if you still want to watch it with someone, 
because that is obviously a different experience. Right. Binge watching Netflix alone or binge watching Netflix with a friend. Which I could do either. They're both that. great. I'm not, I'm not putting one down. They're both important. But it is different. And sometimes you want one, sometimes you want the other. Right. But you are not going to get that from your spouse. Right. So you hire it out to a friend like me. <laughs> there are like enough places in the world that I want to travel that I can't necessarily ask my husband to leave his job to go see all of those places. All of the time. So I am happy to travel with girlfriends. Right. Some people are like, hey, I can't ever go because I have to go with my husband. Cool. That's fine, too. But you might realize you don't get to go very many places. And if you don't mind going very many places, and like, that's great. Fine. Yeah. Then you don't have a problem. For me, I want to go lots of places and he cannot slash and cannot. Yeah. yeah, both. <laughs> so then I found a solution to it. I hired it out and found other women who were willing to and wanted to go these places. Mm -hmm. That one is a little more people like, yeah, I get that you need girlfriends. Um, so those kinds of things of hiring out, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. It's just sometimes we just have so assumed that our husband has to be our best friend. We have to tell him everything. And if he doesn't want to hear everything, then... He doesn't love us enough, and it's right. Like, oh. This is the romantic lie again, right? right? Like, do like, you really hear everything about his job all the time? Like, sometimes there are technical de details, and I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, why are you telling me this? Right? <laughs> and vice versa with him. Like, he doesn't need to know what color paint every time. He might want to, but he might not care. Right. Yeah, for some reason, there's like a disconnect where we think that it's okay to hire out handyman work or childcare right. or whatever it is but hiring out our like emotional needs that right. we're not getting from our partner is like oh that's not allowed because that means your partner doesn't love you it's like right. no 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 your partner is not built to handle every one of your needs surprise like it takes a village guys yeah. still even though you're an adult <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is good and fine and like how we are biologically designed well i think that's one reason why the bachelor um as this a is a fascinating section <laughs> As a setup is flawed, like, just inherently, and there's no way to get that TV show to work exactly right, and it's because you can fall in love with multiple people at a time if you were allowed You're to. trying to. Yeah. yeah. Because they all meet different parts of your needs, and so it's like, that will never work long term. Right. As, like, that's why I like um, the uh, blind. Love, love is blind. Like, love is blind. Because you stick with one person for four weeks and then you get to really dive in deep and see if it works with that one person. I think it's a much better setup. Um, for a dating show, which are... For a dating show, arguably are like, terrible. emotional therapy <laughs> of the people involved. Yeah, like, true. I just think The Bachelor... Oh, this could get into such a side <laughs> segue, but really should be like criminalized for the emotional trauma that they put these people through. Yeah. With the asterisks, yeah, with the asterisks of how real it is and right. how real these people have let it in. But for the most part, they say it's real. And so then it's just, I think, emotionally, uh, like, traumatic. traumatic yeah. for both parties. So, yeah, like, it is important to understand that one person is never meant to fill all of your needs. Mm -hmm. That will never work, it's nor should it. supposed to. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's the, again, the lie that we've been sold is that it's supposed to be one person, your soulmate, and then it will be happily ever after. It's like, no, no, it, we're communal tribal beings, right? Like we're supposed to live 
with a lot of people. Yeah. So remember that life with you is a hellish proposition. For someone to hitch their wagon to yours means that they are accepting all of the ugly bits that they might not even know about yet. And that's how it is supposed to be, right? That's how we all are. That's the reality we live in, whether you like it or not. That's how you live. That's where we're at. That's how you grow. That's the point of it all, Mm -hmm. is learning how to take... I mean, really, that is the point of life. And I think there is a certain beauty in that, in understanding our flaws and accepting them and then giving that same grace to the person that we have chosen to live with. Um, There's a lot of ways that you can grow as a person in that atmosphere. So it's a good thing that we all suck. It's true. Because if only one of us sucked in the relationship, that would be lame. That would be really hard. But we all have equal amount of suckage. Yeah. And so different kinds. So if you can take one, I'm going to leave you with the advice that I got before I got married is that, you choose the suck <laughs> that you want to hit your wagon to, right? You're going to think that your wagon is cute. You're going to think that their wagon is smart and funny and not boring, unless boring doesn't matter to you. Well, I'm go- guys, the pregnancy brain today is really real. They don't even know you're pregnant. Well, you do now. <laughs> if it's if that at all helps make more sense of anything Brittany has said... She is pregnant. Uh, it's fine. We're going to be fine. Um, troubles in your relationship do not stem from your inadequacy or their inadequacy. Right. Everyone's going to have troubles because everyone is flawed. And when you can accept that as the reality that we live in, then you can deal with it. Yeah. And you can say, how do we move on? What and do we need? The hellishness actually become beautiful. Yeah. And that is our... That's what we'll leave you with today. Yeah. To learn find a beauty in the chaos. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.